Hey, Dr. Madati, the What Rules Leadership Conference is coming up on October 25th. I am so psyched, Alisa. I can't wait to hear from our speakers, Tanika Cabral from the Coca-Cola Company, Tier Suzuki from EY, and Lili Valleta from Culture Plus Group. I'm excited for our workshops led by Monique Leno from Albertsons Companies and you, our very own Dr. Madari Simeon. Yes, I'm so excited. We are going to have workshops for the multicultural women attending and managers who are attending who are not multicultural but want to support women of color. So get ready for an amazing event on October 25th. Register now at whatrolespodcast.com. everyone. We're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Mirari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. I saw that one of our conference speakers for the What Rules Leadership Conference, Lily Gilvaleta, posted that she took the 23andMe DNA test. And it was just remarkable because one of the things she talked about is how she is percentages of all these different places, but she's 100% Latina, right? At the end of the day. And she reminded us that Hispanic is not a race, it's a culture. So I'm curious if any of you have ever taken the DNA test. So I didn't do it. But my daughter did it. And I can tell the percentage that is my husband because he's all Eastern European. Yes. And then I'm the other side, <laughs> you know, all Canary Islands, Caribbean. So I sort of got it a little bit through her. I'm like, Canary Islands, Caribbean, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's my side. Yeah. How about you, Courtney? Yeah. I have taken it and I am all over It's a lot of European, East African. There's also some Caribbean in there. I'm like 0.1% Jewish. You know, there's so many different things in there, which didn't surprise me just knowing my mom's ancestry. But seeing it like down to the percentage blew my mind. Yes. You see, I was born and raised in San Germán, Puerto Rico, and uh, but my story does not start there. And that's really what I found through the ancestry DNA. I always knew Puerto Ricans' bloodlines were a mix of European, African, and you know, native Taino Indians. But when I did the DNA test, it revealed the geographic places where I like to say my story really began. Like you, Courtney, I had Jewish, I had all the Italian, all these other stuff, but there (laughs) were four main ones that it was indigenous Taino from Puerto Rico, Central Africa, specifically Cameroon, which was pretty cool and interesting because I learned that Cameroon is the world's 53rd largest country. I had no idea. As well as the Republic of Congo, Portugal, 
and Spain. I'm like, okay, that's five, five main ones. <laughs> but that's where my story really began, where my ancestors are from. And it was pretty cool because I went in and started digging and I was able to find the documents under a copy when my grandfather came in a boat into Puerto Rico. So it was so enlightening to actually learn more about my ancestry. So it was pretty cool. So I recommend people to take it, if anything, just to really learn where your story really began. But it also brings us together, right? Because it reveals so much commonality yes. in our backgrounds, right? That we think we're from one place, but we are from so many multiple places. And we all have like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon separation. Yes. We're all connected, right? Yeah. We're all, yeah. yes, of course, our root is Latinos. That's who we are. But we also have this incredibly rich background that connects us to so many other people in the world. And that's what's fabulous. I love how you put that because you are absolutely right. These are the pieces that connect us. So Agnes, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us your title, your all the hats that you wear, and where are you from? So I'm Agnes Landau, and I, I don't know if I'm new anymore, because I have been now at Shiseido for nine months. So I'm the chief marketing officer of Shiseido US, in charge of all the brands here in the US. And I do wear many hats. I am a mother. I am a sister. I am a wife, I am a daughter, and of course, I am here at Shiseido as a chief marketing officer. And depending on what is happening in any given day, you're wearing two or three of those hats, sometimes even at the, se uh, at the same time, right? You're hanging out with your boss, call from Japan, and then your mother is calling you on the other phone, hey, <laughs> so when are you coming to Puerto Rico? <laughs> <laughs> I just came back like three weeks ago. <laughs> so you are from Puerto Rico? Yes, I am from Puerto Rico. I'm a little bit of a combination talking about the 23andMe because I am from Puerto Rico, but I'm a Puerto Rican Jew. So I'm a little bit of a cool. unicorn. You know, not many people like me hanging around. We are sort of like a little bit of a... I think limited edition, <laughs> if you will. Uh, you know, growing up in Puerto Rico as a Puerto Rican Jew, you can imagine it was quite an experience because 99.9% .9 of the population in Puerto Rico is Catholic. Yes. So, you yeah. know, December rolls around, everybody goes crazy with the Christmas <laughs> gifts and the Christmas presents and the asaltos. And Courtney, I don't know if you've ever been to Puerto Rico, but Agnes, I I'm, I'm laughing when you're saying um, Christmas comes around because it is, and Agnes, you could attest to this, it is, I don't know, Christmas for two months. Like, it exactly. is literally... <laughs> Starts in November Fine. and ends in January after yes. Los Reyes, yes. after January 6th. So, and La Fiesta de San Sebastián. So, yes. it keeps going on and on. So, as a little Jewish girl, I would look around at all of my friends with their, you know, big Christmas trees and all the presents and everything. And... Just to say, my mother had a lot of explaining to do, you know. 
<laughs> why can I be part of the Christmas people? <laughs> I have to be the Jewish people. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was it was definitely a lot of fun. How did you really embrace that part of your identity? So uh, there is a very small group of Jewish Latin people, I want to say, in Puerto Rico, because some of them are Puerto Rican, but many of them are Cubans that came uh, to Puerto Rico. So there's a small community. There is a synagogue right in Isla Verde. Mm. And all the Jews that lived in Puerto Rico, I knew them. They were my friends. So (laughs) actually, I had to get out to get married because... They were all my sisters and brothers. You know, it's a very small community. But once again, what brings you together is everything else, right? We we yeah. had the Jewish part of us that we shared, but we also had this bigger par- part of us that was the Latin culture and everything that came with that, that uh, we also share. So... That's, I think, the the commonality, and it felt normal. I guess once you grow up with it, you're Latina, but you have this side of you that is Jewish, and then you go to synagogue and tell your friends about what you do that is a little bit different. And everybody found it, honestly, embraced it, and and was very open to it. It was it was really a wonderful thing growing up in in Puerto Rico. It was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't plan it like this, but what a great topic to be talking about during Hispanic Heritage Month, because I really believe, like you said, it's something different, but it is what unites us. And I'm learning something new about Puerto Rican Jews, which I had no idea. So yeah, love it. Love it. Thank you for bringing that up. I do have a question for you, especially <clears throat> just with even all the backgrounds that you're talking about. But what rules have you broken to advance in your career? Okay, I might give you two, but I'm going to start with this one. <laughs> hey, listen, there's no rules. What rules? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, I'm breaking another one. It's a third. It's yes. a third. We're breaking the third one. So the first one is, and as a Latina, right? As a Latina, we are sort of trained to be the nurturers. We are the mothers. We are the ones that take care of the household. And we tend to follow the husband, right? The husband career turns, you know, has precedence and... This is sort of what you observe. Not necessarily what I saw from my mother. My mother was a doctor, so she didn't do a lot of following, and neither did I. Actually, when I was working at Estee Lauder, I had an opportunity to go to Paris and be the head of a brand. And I remember that at that point in time, my two kids were going to college And I'm like, this is great, an opportunity to sort of reinvent ourselves and find, you know, what else we want to do with our careers. So I spoke to my husband and I said, maybe we can even move. And he's like, yes, we can move to the city. And I'm like, yes, but what city? Because he thought I was talking about New York. And I'm like, no, we're going to Europe. And he's like, are you? (laughs) And he works for a German company. And I'm like, why not? You'll go to Germany and I'll go to Paris and we'll see each other during the weekends. It's like boyfriend and girlfriend (laughs) after 28 years. So it was great. I actually loved working in Paris for those five years. And it was an incredible personal and also, of course, professional experience. It was lovely. So that was one of the rules that I broke. And I think the second rule was sort of embracing myself as I am, right? As a Latina, I have an accent. 
I speak with my hands. You're not seeing them, but they're moving. And that's who I am. And I think at the beginning of my career, I was taking all this courses on how to do public speaking and things like that. And they really want you to not move your hands and to sort of soften your accent if you can. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I, I Better that because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And actually, kudos to the person that was my uh, sponsor because he said, you know what? Your accent, your hands, they come out of synergy. And it's your own personal energy, and it's great to watch. Just keep it. Just do what you do. Keep going. And I did. <laughs> I love that. It just shows how important the sponsors are, right? I'm actually very curious to know about that relationship with your sponsor, because it's something we do talk a lot about on our podcast and how it really fosters career advancement. So like with this sponsor, what's the biggest impact they had on you in your career? I think when somebody believes in you, particularly so early on in your career, you just see possibilities and you just want to live up to that image and you do everything. And they tell you... Totally, you can do that job. Totally, you can go to Paris and do anything. And you just go and you just do it. Mentors have been an incredible force in my career. Honestly, I would not be where I am if not for the people that I met throughout my career that, you know, extended that hand and pulled me through too. And I think it's our responsibility to pay that back. And I think it falls right into our theme, right? Don't do it alone. I love that because it sounds like the mentors, the sponsor, your husband, it, you are not alone in this journey. I actually have counted my mentors and I've had like five in my career. I mean, wow. that's a lot. Wouldn't you say? I think that's in, an incredible amount. And they have been, all of them have been women up to now. I actually have a man now. I've added uh, uh, a guy to my team, my current boss, uh, Ron, and they really have been incredible forces in just not only leading by example, but really believing in me and giving me that hand. And interestingly enough, none of them have been Hispanic. And I think that's because, of course, it hasn't been really until now that there have been I think, more women in positions of uh, leadership within the beauty industry. We have, for example, Michelle Freire at Clinique. I'm here as a CMO at Shiseido, and I think now it's a, an incredible opportunity that we have to pull Latina women up. You know, one of the things that we talk about is absolutely mentors, and some people have different mentors throughout their career, but it sounds like you were so fortunate enough to have these five mentors throughout your career. And I think that's just another example of you could have many mentors or you can have just the core that stayed with you throughout your career and seeing you shine. Hey, it's Elisa. I run a B2B creative agency called Stories Bureau, and we work with executives like you every day to make sure their presentations have the wow factor. Our designers and strategists help tell compelling stories that impact big business decisions. 
Let's get real, ladies. If you're a woman of color in leadership, you know that you're expected to perform above and beyond the norm. So let's get started at storiesbureau.com. I love hearing even how you're saying, I know you said have one rule, but I actually have two, maybe three. Hearing (laughs) you say that also makes me think about how you probably created your own opportunities. Like just because someone says, do this one thing, you're like, hey, I'm going to pave a path for myself. And I feel like just hearing you say this, you're recommending that like we take risk, create our own opportunities. So can we talk more about that? How have you done that in your career? I think you create your opportunities by being open to what is in front of you. I think many times we think that there's only one direction and one way to go, right? Like we're working in the United States. We only should remain there and move up within the organization that way. And an opportunity opens up somewhere else. I think sometimes people feel afraid, right, of of making a jump, particularly when it is a foreign country where you might not speak the language like When I went to Paris, I didn't speak French. Nobody understood why I wanted to go. They were like, are you French? And I'm like, no, (laughs) but I'll learn it. So having that openness of taking the challenge and saying, you know what? I can do it. It's going to be fine. And no, I can't figure every single piece that is going to hit me right now, but it's going to be fine. I'm going to figure it out as I go along. So I think having that openness is super, super important. I wouldn't have landed in New York if I didn't think that way because I was in Puerto Rico working when an opportunity opened up in the 80s, by the way, New York in the 80s, very different from New York right now. It was, you know, a little bit more uh, spicy, if we should say. (laughs) And I didn't think about it twice. I packed my belongings and in a month I was in New York because an opportunity had opened up to do my master's in the city and a fellowship with Fordham University. And I wanted to obviously leverage that. And I said, I'm, I'm doing it. My mother came with me. And I, do you remember the preppy murder in Central Park? That happened my first weekend in New York. My oh, mother wow. almost had a heart attack. She's like, we're going back to Puerto Rico. That's it. And I'm like, oh, we're not. I told everybody that I was finishing my MBA. And unless somebody's running after me with a knife, I'm staying here. (laughs) Going back. (laughs) So I stayed and I met my husband and I love New York. I think New York is an incredible, incredible city. So I think opportunities is about being open to what is in front of you. It's uh, one of the things and, and not being afraid to take that jump. I think the other thing that we have to be open to is mentors. Mentors are not necessarily going to come knocking to your door. That's something that we sometimes think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a mentor. Well, you got to go and get a mentor. And we can't be afraid of being ourselves open to that and having those relationships with people that can take us to the next level. My mentors have become my friends. They are no longer my bosses. They're my friends. Like to this day, I still talk to the first woman that gave me my first job, Maria Montoya, to this day. It's really people that you bond with. It goes, I think the deeper mentor relationship is when it's also a friendship. You know, you get a little bit deeper there. You get to know the person and you create a bond. And I've been lucky that I've had that bond with a couple of my mentors. 
I love that because that's another way to look at it, right? This person was primarily at first your sponsor because they gave you the job and then they became your mentor. I know you went to France and you didn't speak French. So how did you do it? Because I think it's important for those listeners that if an opportunity like this comes up and you don't know the language, here's a perfect example of somebody that took the chance and was very successful. First of all, I think as Latinas, we have an advantage as Latinos. We have an advantage because we already have two languages under the belt. So you kind of know a little bit that we can learn a language. It's not impossible. Second, obviously, Spanish and French, there is a little bit, not definitely not the same, God knows, but uh, there is uh, the Romance language thread that that helps you with that. And so I figure, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to learn it. It's going to be part of this incredible experience. You know, when I did the jump to Paris, it was not only a professional piece for me, but it was also a personal piece. I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn different cultures. I just wanted to expose myself to that. So that was part of the deal. I was super excited about that. I know you mentioned earlier how your sponsor kind of said like, hey, your accent is what brings you who you are and brings you forward. Tell us, what advice would you give to someone who struggles with that? Because Courtney knows we had some people that are concerned about their accent and still to this day, sadly, but true, people still get the feedback. Hey, you got to tone down your accent. What would you say to somebody who's kind of struggling with what should I do? And maybe you may have received the feedback recently that they should tone down their accent. I really think you shouldn't. I think it's part of what makes us unique. What I found out through my career is that because I have an accent, people listen more closely. You know, it's sort of like hearing a different part of a melody. You know, everybody sounds the same as they're going up and speaking and then suddenly comes a strange bird that sounds a little different and you're like, wait a second, let me pay attention. So if you embrace it, other people will too. I think, you know how they say, if you feel comfortable in your skin, you make other people comfortable. I think that's part of being comfortable with yourself. I love that. If you respect yourself, own it and love who you are and are comfortable with who you are, it will show. Yes, absolutely. I think it's also a part of embracing what may make you different. And we talk about that a lot here is like, be unapologetic about your differences. And you are just a walking example of that. Like you have owned every part of your identity that has made you different. And I'm just curious, you know, you've made it so far in your career. You are so established. Would you contribute a lot of that to your differences? How has that made your career evolve? I I think it's made my career evolve in the sense that, first of all, my differences is me. And the minute that you embrace them and that you start to feel that they are not challenges or something to be overcome, but actually something positive and something that makes you unique and strong you immediately put a positive spin 
to the whole thing that makes you, it's, it's kind of like your superpower, right? It, it becomes the piece of you that makes you different, that makes you unique, that makes you bring something different to the table versus what everybody else is bringing. When I look at a marketing team myself, I want that diversity at the table because that reflects the consumer base that I am serving. And one of the things that we hear today more than ever is that we have to be authentic as people and as brands, right? And if you don't have the people that comprise your consumer base around the table, how in God's earth are we going to be authentic? If we don't understand the thinking, the culture, the background, all of those pieces. So I, I think that's also what makes you a great marketer, having that diversity that you bring to the table. I really, really like that wisdom that you shared because I work with job seekers every day and they really struggle with, no matter honestly what you look like or your background, people have imposter syndrome because of their differences. And whether it's race or culture or accent or neurodivergence or lack of skill, all of these things that make us different can also be really intimidating. And then it can stop people from moving forward in their careers. And I just love that you're highlighting the value in that. And a team isn't meant to have 10 types of the same person. So it that, provides new perspective. And that leads me to you figured out how important it is to be your authentic self. Now that you're a high level in the C-suite in your career, how do you help others figure out how to bring their most authentic self to the table? So I think two things. First of all is making a conscious decision, first of all, to bring those voices to the table. Mm -hmm. Because to what Courtney was saying, I was in a brand at one point in time that they were very given to hiring from a certain school, right? So what happened one day is that I remember I got 10 different analyses and they all said exactly the same thing because everybody, to your point, thought exactly the same way. And it's a problem. It's really not a good thing for marketing. You want that diversity. You want to be able to batter ideas. You want that friction. When you don't have that friction, you don't have the strength of communication and of innovation and of diversity, honestly, that you need. Okay, so it's extremely important. So you start from the beginning. You need the diversity of point of view around the table from day one. The second piece that I would say, and this is an advice that was given to me by one of my mentors and that I adore. It was actually during a performance review and it was going really well. And she was just telling me all the things, you know, all the different skills and what I was bringing to the table. And then she finishes. And then I said to her, okay, but Lynn, what are the things that, that I need to get better at? What are the things that I'm not doing well that I need to get better at? And she's like, you know what? I rather that you focus on your strengths and bringing that 
to your super level, to your superpower level, than figuring out these other little things over here. And I thought that was so powerful. Obviously, you have to have a certain level of skill in, it's not like you can completely not know how to do, <laughs> read a PNL in marketing, right? But once you have that basic skill set, really fueling the superpower of people, fueling the places where they can really shine yes. and where they can really be incredibly outstanding by God, right? What an incredible way to operate, right? And then you have different people that bring different things to the table. You have magic, right? So I think that was the other piece that to me is so important and that I tried to pass on. That was an incredible, incredible boat of confidence, made me feel great. And and I, I, I was like, oh my God, what an incredible way to think about your skill set. We heard a lot and it's all wonderful stuff. I'm wondering, Courtney, if you could tell us what you've learned from everything you heard today. You read my mind. I literally wrote <laughs> I it. I was, I was reading it. <laughs> I wrote a note and I was just about to say, my takeaway is your difference is necessary and needed both in life and to advance your career. I love it. And that we shouldn't convince ourselves that we need to be anything else or anything more than who we are. I love it. I just want to ask one last question to wrap it up because I, I love that we're celebrating our differences because it also it is also what brings us together. So I wanted to ask Agnes, just because we are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, if there is a message that you would like to give to our listeners and specifically our Latino community? I think the message is this is a great time to be a Latina or Latino in the U.S. and anywhere. I think that to me, there is a lot of hopeful signs. I think that there is a lot of people in our community that are coming to their own and growing in different parts of business and politics. And I think it's an incredible time to us that are in those places to make sure that we're bringing others with us. So my message would be to all of those that have the opportunity to mentor, to teach, to bring others along, please, let's do it. Let's bring other Latinos, other Latinas along the journey with us. That's our legacy. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.